Welcome to the Determined Truth Podcast. I want the truth. You can't handle the truth. Where we aim to explore questions of truth, the scriptures, and what it means for the church today. Here's your host, Rob Dalrymple. Today's podcast is from a sermon I delivered on the book of Acts. I hope you enjoy. About three hours later, his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. Peter asked her, tell me, is this the price that you and Ananias got for the land? She said, yes, this is the price. Peter said to her, how could you conspire to test the spirit of the Lord? Listen, the feet of the men who buried your husband are at the door, and they will carry you out also. At that moment, she fell down at his feet and died. Then the young men came in, and finding her dead, carried her out and buried her beside her husband. Great fear seized the whole church and all who heard about these events. And all God's people said, oh, I wonder where he's going now. <laughs> First thing I want you to notice is that what's going on in this passage, especially Acts 2 and the, Acts, and the end of Acts 4 that we read, is nothing more than the fulfillment of God's promises and God's call to his people Israel. This is the fulfillment of God's call to his people. In the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 15, verses 1 through 3, or verse 1 through 5, it says this. At the end of every seven years, you must cancel all debts. This is how it is to be done. Every creditor shall cancel any loan that they have made to a fellow Israelite. They shall not require payment from anyone among their own people, because the Lord's time for canceling debts has been proclaimed. You may require payment from a foreigner, but you must cancel any debt from your fellow Israelite who owes you. Verse 4. However, there will be no need, however, there need be no poor among you, for in the land the Lord your God has given you to possess as your inheritance, he will richly bless you, if only you fully obey the Lord your God and are careful to follow out all these commands that I'm giving you today. This is called the biblical principle of Jubilee. And the biblical principle of Jubilee was such that every 50 years they were to cancel all debts. 
Seven sevens, 49 years transpire. At the end of the 49 years, year 50, we cancel all debts. And the reason for this was because land was your primary source of, of, of revenue. That, that's what you have. If you fall into debt, maybe a, a drought has come, a famine has come, and you can't provide food for your family, and you become dependent and needy, the only asset you have is your land. The problem was the Israelites were worried about the land falling in the hands of someone else or the land falling in the hands of only a few and enslaving everybody else. So in order to keep equity, equity and equal distribution of the land amongst all the tribes of Israel, the rule was simple and that was going to be this. If you fall into debt, you need to sell your land to someone in your family. The, debt, the, the, the land cannot fall outside of the family. Now, if your whole family is in debt or your whole family has a famine and, and all their lands, then, then you keep the land within your tribe. The land cannot go outside the tribe. At the end of the 50 years, however, the land goes back to the family owners. Everyone can provide for themselves. There's no needy persons among you. This is simply the way it's supposed to be. There will be no needy persons among you. And then we read the Old Testament and they never did it. We have no record ever in any written, written document in the Old Testament or beyond of the Israelites actually ever doing this. They never practiced the Jubilee. Why? It's simple. Sin. More greedy. They began to realize, I'm not going to loan money to you because I'm never going to get paid back. If it's year 46, I'm definitely not loaning money to you. Because in three years, I, you just, you know, I just got to give it back. I get nothing out of this. And because of sin and greed. Now, they knew that people would take advantage of other people. And, I, and it's year 48, I'll just stop working. And, and I won't work for two years. Then, then you have to like buy my land and give me my, and, and I'm okay. And in two years I get my land. So they knew that people would abuse it also. And so they never did it. The problem, of course, was that those who experienced famine or death in the family, they, they couldn't get the help that they needed. So the question, as we look at the book of Acts is we see that the church is living as a community, a communal type of living. It's not completely communal living, but they're living together and they're sharing all their possessions as they had need. And the question is this, is why were they living communally? And there's two reasons I believe Acts tells us. One is there's a threat of persecution. When you read the book of Acts, even the Gospels, when Jesus rises from the dead uh, on that very Sunday, he appears in a room, but the doors were locked. We note that throughout the book of Acts, the, the, the disciples in the early church was fearful that Jesus is, is risen from the dead and now you're going to persecute us too because we're proclaiming his resurrection. It's one thing when Jesus was around doing all the things he was doing. But now, the disciples are proclaiming his resurrection. And that caused persecution and opposition. As we keep reading the book of Acts, chapter 7 and 8, Stephen is going to be stoned to death. As we look at chapter 8 and following begins a persecution of Christians, forcing them to flee from Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and the ends of the earth. By Acts chapter 12, James is killed. One of the 12 apostles, James, is killed. And Peter's also arrested, and only an angel lets him out in the middle of the night, and that's the only reason why he wasn't killed as well. The church lived under the threat of persecution. And we suspect that because of the threat of persecution, Christians might have been uh, exempt from the local economy. If you're a follower of Jesus, if, if you're proclaiming Him, we're not buying your stuff. If you're a follower of Jesus, we're not hiring you to work in our field. 
And as a result, there's more poverty and, and opposition and threat. The church had to rally around and had to come together because of the threat of persecution. Second thing I think we see in the book of Acts is that Christianity seemed to grow amongst the poorer classes. Christianity seems to grow amongst the poorer class. We see this in the Gospels. It's the rich people that have trouble following Jesus because they won't acknowledge that they have any needs. I don't need to repent. I have all that I... I'm good. And the reason why I know I'm good is because God's blessed me. And my material possessions are a sign of God's blessing. I don't need Jesus. I don't need to repent. But the poor more easily accepted the Gospel. More easily acknowledged that I'm not Lord, you are, I'm in. This is good. And it seems to be the case in the early growth of the early Christian church as well. That Christians, Christianity seemed to grow amongst the poor. And as a result, there became this need to add persecution and the, and the poverty of the early Christians together. We, we began to see that they needed to live in this communal arrangement in order to provide for one another. Now, as we keep reading the book of Acts, we're going to notice, by the way, they didn't do this perfectly. Uh, one of the beauties in the book of Acts is that Luke is not afraid to tell us about problems in the early church. The book of Acts does not portray the early church as though, hey, these guys have it all together and all is well. These guys are people like us. They're humans and they're sinful and they're greedy and they're arrogant and they're boastful and they're prideful. Um, and, and you're like, speak about yourself, Pastor, not about us. Okay, all right. Uh, right. Uh, they have problems. And, there, and there's problems in the church. In, in Acts chapter uh, 6, we find out that some of the, some of the disciples, uh, some of the Christians were having problems with, with their widows getting some of the distribution of daily goods because they, they were prejudiced against, against them in favor of other widows. And that's where the office of deacon comes up because the disciples are like, look, we can't handle this. So appoint some deacons amongst yourselves to take care and make sure all the widows are being cared for. We keep reading, and Paul has the disputes with, with Peter and, and with Barnabas and with others as well. So the church is living communally and, as a need because they have to, but they're not doing it perfectly. All right, let's ask ourselves the questions now. What does this mean for us today? Let me give you several thoughts. Number one, oneness of heart and oneness of mind extends to our possessions. Oneness of heart and oneness of mind extends to our possessions. We discussed last week how the New Testament stresses the idea of unity in the church over and over and over again. Jesus' own prayer in John 17, Father, I pray that they may be one even as we are one. And we ask the question, why is there such a great stress on unity in the New Testament when you don't see that stress in the Old Testament? And the answer is because in the Old Testament it was easy. Well, it was easier. They all ate the same foods and they didn't eat those foods. They all wore these clothes and they all did this and they all did that and they all went to this festival and they didn't go to the... It, they were, it was, it was a one nation of people with one identity and one language. But in the New Testament, as we looked at last week, the gospel goes out to people from all around the world. Romans and Cretans and Arabs and Greeks and North Africans and Jews and Samaritans and you bring them all together. And it's really, really, really difficult. And all of a sudden now we realize, wait a minute, oneness of heart and oneness of mind also extends to our possessions. Now, we look at the book of Acts, and one of the problems that we kind of have here in, the, in Acts chapter 2 is we begin going, well, you know, I don't, I don't like that because, you know, personally I'm convicted as a, as a good American that capitalism is the best economic system and we won't get into it at all. But we look at the book of Acts and we go, they're practicing socialism. 
or, or some form of communism. And, and we don't like it as an economic system. We, we believe it, 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 it's a sinful system and, and it's corrupt and it leads to all kinds of abuse and all kinds of problems. And the answer is, this is not a government-imposed economic system, folks. This is a church. And the first thing to notice is it's not even being imposed by the church. It was voluntary. Acts chapter 5, verse 4, uh, Peter says to Ananias, Didn't it belong to you before it was sold? And after it was sold, wasn't the money at your disposal? This is not being imposed upon them. This is voluntary. Secondly, as we keep reading, we note that they actually continue to have private ownership. Those who own houses sold some of them, and sometimes they didn't. As we go to Acts chapter 12, the church is meeting in, in, in Mary's household. They continue to have private ownership. There's nothing that's being imposed upon them. Acts 4, verse 36 and 37 says, Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus, whom the apostles called Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, sold a field that he had owned. He's not selling his main residence. He's selling a field that he owns. So it's voluntary, and it, 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 it's cooperative, and they're not completely living together. They're still maintaining private houses. All right, second purpose, second thing. What does this tell, what does uh, uh, um, the union in the New Testament tell us here in regards to our possessions? Number two, both the passages that we read, Acts 2 and Acts 4 and Acts 5, describe success in ministry as a result of their giving. Both the story in Acts 2, as well as in Acts 4, bleeding into Acts 5, describes success in the ministry as a result of their giving. Acts 2, verse 47, And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. We can't separate the giving of the early church with the success in their ministry. Acts 2, verse 47, uh, Acts 4, excuse me, Acts 4, verses 32 through 34. No one claimed that any of their possessions was their own, but they shared everything they had. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and God's grace was so powerfully at work in them, that, uh, in them all that there was no needy persons among them. Note the description of the success in the ministry. No one claimed that any of their possessions was their own. The result is the disciples proclaimed with great power to testifying to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. The focus was not on what's mine and what's yours. The focus was on the kingdom of God. Giving happens to be one of the ways that we all can participate. Even more so those who are wealthy, but it's not to the wealthy alone. God blesses some with wealth and God blesses some with other things that we might help others. There's an interesting flip side, however, when we look at possessions and wealth and giving. And that is, the New Testament seems to indicate that if we don't use our wealth to bless others, God may well, continue, may well choose to no longer bless us. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 9-11 through 11, that we read earlier says this, As it is written, they have freely scattered their gifts to the poor, their righteousness endures forever. Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. You'll be rich in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. And through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. The purpose of God's blessing us is so that we can give and bless others. Thirdly, giving is a reminder that we are dependent upon God. Giving is a reminder that we are dependent upon God. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it, 
the earth and all who live in it. It's not ours. We don't give 10% and say, or, or whatever percentage we're going to give and say, great, I'll keep the rest for myself. We give the first, fo- the first fruits from, uh, of, of all of our income because we recognize this is yours to begin with. This is the Lord's. And reminds us that we're dependent upon God. Number four, just because God didn't ask you to give something away doesn't mean that it still belongs to you. Just because God didn't ask you to give something away doesn't mean that it still belongs to you. It's all the Lord's. We don't give 10% or 5% or 20% or whatever and say, hey, this, the rest is mine and hold on to it. I can do whatever I want with my car. I can do whatever I want with my home. I can do whatever I want with my possessions. It's mine. I gave the Lord his share. The rest is mine. No. Let me add a fifth one, not on the outline here, and that is this. Number five, giving is not shared equally. Giving is not shared equally. In the book of Acts, we find out, again, verses 34 and 35, it says, For from time to time, those who owned land or houses sold them, brought the money from the sales, and put it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to anyone who had need. Those who owned land or houses sold them indicating that the poor aren't participating in this, in this system, that they might be giving something, that may be true. But overall, Luke seems to be describing the fact that those who had land, those who were wealthy and landowners, were giving. I preached a year or two ago, and by the way, if, you're wel- if this is your first time here at Northminster, welcome, and I'm not doing what every sermon... Every time I go to church, all they do is talk about money. I haven't preached on money in like a year and a half, and this is like the one Sunday you come. Sorry about that. Um, but I mentioned the fact that, that, uh, that the New Testament does not teach tithing, I don't believe, that we are to tithe a tenth. It, it doesn't teach that. That's an Old Testament principle. The word tithe means a tenth. And so we get from the Old Testament that we're supposed to give a tenth. But when we look at the New Testament, here's the bad, bad news, sorry to break it down. When we look at the New Testament, what we find is Jesus always actually intensifies the principles of the Old Testament. You heard that it was said, you shall not murder But I say to you, you can't even have hatred in your heart any longer. You see, in the Old Testament, it was okay as long as you didn't kill them. You could hate them, you could want to kill them, just don't do it and you're fine. In the New Testament, no, you can't even hate them anymore. Jesus is intensifying the commands. So maybe we can look at the Old Testament principle of a tithe and say, hey, that's a good place to start. Let me start there. But in the New Testament, we see him intensifying. The idea of the kingdom of God is that it's all yours. And so we give. Now, I would at the same time say this. If a family lives on, let's say, $25,000 a year, I don't personally believe that the church should be telling them, you've got to give 10% of that. Because $25,000 a year is below the poverty level in America. And to ask them to give $2,500, they, I don't know. Maybe they can give something. Sure, no problem. However, somebody else that makes $250,000 a year might be giving more than $25,000 because you've got an abundance. And maybe you could give 20%, whatever it might be. Giving is not to be shared equally. Now, there's interestingly, we have some objections to giving. One of the objections to giving generously is, of course, the fact that people are going to take advantage of us. You know, if, if, if we do what the book of Acts is saying and we, we see the needs among us, people are going to take advantage of it. And the answer is, you're right. People are. They're going to take advantage of us. 
There's a man named Lucian of Samosara, who, who is a, um, a, a really sarcastic and a big cynic in the ancient world. He lived around the year 115, uh, 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 about 100 years after the time of Jesus. And he says, so, looking at Christians, he, 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 this is what he says. He says, so, if any charlatan or trickster able to profit by occasions comes among them, he suddenly acquires wealth by imposing on simple folk? That's his sarcasm. That's what you Christians do. You're just going to let somebody in, and a charlatan's going to come in, and he's just going to get suddenly wealthy because he, he proclaimed himself poor among you. And it shows us that, by the way, in the book of Acts, that the early church in, in the second century was still living out the principles of the book of Acts. But here's the question, and the question I'd like to ask, and that's this. Which risk is greater? The risk of not giving at all lest we be taken advantage of? Or the risk of giving with a possibility that we might be taken advantage of? Which risk is, is greater? To not give at all so that no one will take advantage of us? Or to give, knowing that we may well actually be taken advantage of from time to time? The reality is that we have to live somewhere in the tension in the middle, isn't it? We, we, we dwell on this tension, and it's difficult. We, and we exercise caution, and we have due diligence. And if you give your money to the church, we're really careful. What we, and if you give to the deacons fund, the deacons are really careful and diligent and faithful to make sure that we're giving in a way that's actually helping and not making the problem worse. But I say that if we err, let's err on the side of grace and not on the side of law. Number two, some people will say, well, there's nothing we can do about the poor. They're always going to be with us. Jesus himself even said in Mark chapter 14, verse 7, the poor you will always have with you. And the problem is, is that's not what Jesus meant. It's one of the most significantly misinterpreted verses in Scripture and often abused. The book of Deuteronomy says that we read earlier, there shall be no needy persons among you. When the book of Acts says there, are, there were no needy persons among them, the book of Acts is saying that the church was doing what God had called Israel to do. We were finally being faithful to something that Israel had never been faithful to do. They were doing it. When Jesus says in Mark 14, 7, the poor you will always have with you, he's condemning the people because they're not doing what Deuteronomy says. If you were faithful, there would be no needy persons among you. But you are not faithful. You're, you're always going to have the poor among you. That's not Jesus saying, that's just the way it is. That's Jesus condemning them for their disobedience to the law of Moses in the book of Deuteronomy. They're not doing it. Now, we know that the book of Acts is about the kingdom of God. And the kingdom of God is uh, where God is the king, where he rules. The significance is this. The kingdom of God doesn't simply finance itself. It, it doesn't just spread all by itself. It needs the disciples and the apostles and the men and women who are at Pentecost and others who, who come into the faith to go out and proclaim the gospel. Like I said, it would have been so much easier if Jesus would have said, hey, I'll just keep doing it. Just come follow me. And he says, no, I'm leaving. We're like, no, don't go. Don't go, please. You know, it's like, stay here. We'll do it. it would have been a lot easier. And Jesus says, no, I'm leaving I'm going to send you my spirit, and he will equip you to do even greater things than I have done. And I would say this, if God has blessed you with wealth, then he expects you to share it so that the kingdom of God might expand. If God has blessed you with wealth, then he expects you to share it so that the kingdom of God might expand. As I just mentioned, the New Testament principle of tithing is, I don't believe, based on 10%. 
2 Corinthians 9, verse 7 that Mackenzie read earlier in the service says this, Each of you should give what you've decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly nor under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Now, one other thing to remember in the New Testament. Wealth is not an inherent blessing. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 10 and 11. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil, and some people, eager for money, have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. But you, O man of God, Paul says to Timothy, flee from all this. It's simple. With wealth often comes a sense of security. The people think, if you become wealthy, you think, I don't need God. The reality is that most of if you've been in the faith or in the church or following Jesus for any time at all, you'll recognize the fact that your times of spiritual growth often came when you struggled the most. When, when you're into the valleys, when, when you lost a job, when, when money was tight, when, when things were stressing, you often found tr- tremendous spiritual growth during those times. When uh, Tony and I were first married, we had agreed that... Um, uh, that we would, uh, w- when we had kids, that we would, one of us would try to stay home with the kids at all times and kind of help raise our kids and things of that nature. And so uh, we did so. And, and Tony, actually, I've always been fortunate to work in the church, which is, if you haven't noticed, not the highest paying industry out there. Um, and so she stayed home initially, and that meant more than half our income was lost. And so we struggled, and we, we got by, and we did, you know, we did whatever we could do. Tony did uh, child care as well. And we kind of did whatever we could to kind of get by. And I was always really careful making our, looking at our budget every month. And I'd look at our budget and make sure we had all of our bills paid for. And if you know how it is, we, we were fortunate to have, to have a home. And the mortgage payment was more than my, my paycheck. So the first of the month, we had to have more money than just my paycheck because we couldn't pay the mortgage and buy food and pay a tithe. So we had to save money from the 15th of the month's paycheck. You know how that is, right? So that in the middle of the month, you save some of that money so that the first of the month, you have enough to pay all those bills. And so I had to make sure that we did all of our math. And, and it was about September, October one year. And I think, our, I think it was with our first son, Justin. So he's maybe um, 20 years ago or more, like three years ago, actually. I'm not that old. Um, uh, and, and I began forecasting out. And I'm, and I'm looking for um, September, October, November, December. And I'm thinking, well, we got enough for September. We got enough for October. We got enough for December. In December, you all know what's going to happen. The second week of December property taxes are due. And, I'm, and I knew I had to save for that also, right? Because that's not, you know, so I'm thinking, all right, here we go. We can get through December 10th and pay property taxes, get through the 15th, maybe even have a little bit of money for Christmas, but January 1, we're not going to have enough. We, we knew January, we're not going to have, there's not going to be enough. We can pay the mortgage, but not the food bill. Or the food bill, but not, right, not the mortgage. I don't know what we're going to do. Well, January, uh, December 31st comes, it's New Year's Eve, we're having a great time, and of course, you know how it is, at 12 o'clock, you say, hey, 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 and then you go to bed, right, because you know, I'm, I'm, I'm done with that, I'm, I'm old enough, I'm, I'm, all right, great. 12 o'clock, we're sitting in bed, maybe 12.05, and all of a sudden, I mean, just a loud pound on the front door, it was loud, and I'm like, what, the, what was that? I jumped up, ran to the front porch, and no one was there, and there was an envelope, and it said, Happy New Year. And on the back it says, Please do not, I'm getting older, Please do not inquire who, but know that it is from the Lord. And I opened up the envelope, and there was exactly the amount of money we needed for our food bill for that, for that next two weeks. By the way, the same thing happened four months later, because April 10th you have to pay your property taxes again, right? 
And after April 10th, uh, um, uh, we weren't sure how we, how we were going to get through that and, and how we were going to get any food. And I remember um, this was about four months later, and I'm changing uh, my son's diapers. I, I think it was a Monday, and I'm, I said, Tony, we're out of diapers. We, we need, and she goes, I think there's a diapers in, in, uh, there's an extra diaper in the diaper bag. And uh, okay, no problem. So I reached in the diaper bag to grab an extra diaper. Uh, and in that diaper bag was an envelope with $200, exactly what we needed for our food bill for the month of April and got us through. The Lord provides. The Lord provides. All right. Giving is not merely financial, though, as well. If giving were only financial, then only the wealthy could, could participate. So here's what I want to encourage you to do. Spend some time in the next week or more making a budget and looking at the resources that God's given you. Resources of time, resources of talents, resources of money. And then first stop and thank God for all that he has given you. I don't, I don't think we do that enough. I don't, I don't think in our prayer times we stop and thank God enough. Do, I mean, do you ever have a prayer time where, where all you did was just thank God? If you're like me, your prayer time is like 98%, I need this, I need this, I need this. My son needs this, my, this, right? Pray for this person, pray for that, pray for this circumstance, etc. We don't thank God enough. So spend some time making a budget and looking at your resources, and then spend some time thanking God. And then secondly, ask God to bless you so that you can be a blessing to others. And then ask God to show you how he wants you to give. Lord, how do you want me to give? I'm not giving you any money. You can't handle it. I'm not going to trust you with it, but I'm going to give you some time. I'm going to give you some resources. I'm going to give you a strong back. I'm going to give you a talent. I'm going to give you a skill. And you can help others with your talent, with your skill. So what are ways that you can give and that God is calling you to give? Let's pray. Father, we thank you indeed for you are abundantly gracious to us when we are unworthy. You died for us on the cross knowing that we might actually spurn your love anyways. And you ask us to give just as you have given to us. To forgive just as you have forgiven us. To love just as you have loved us. We thank you for your mercy and we thank you for your grace. And we pray, Lord Jesus, that you would convict us in our hearts and in our minds and in our lives to give. Not under compulsion because God loves a cheerful giver, but freely and only what we've decided in our hearts to give and only what you have laid upon our hearts to give. We pray, Lord, that you would help us. And then we ask, Lord, that you would give us faith to trust in you, that you will provide for our needs, to trust in one another, that we can come to one another and be cared for and loved and nurtured and supported. We praise you and thank you for all that you've given to us now. We ask for your mercies and grace to be upon us. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. If you would like more information on the Determined Truth podcast, you can find us on iTunes. You can follow Rob's blog at DeterminedTruth.com or purchase his books on Amazon.com. See you next time.